Welcome to the big topic in women's MMA. Frank Posen here along with Schwan Humes. Don't forget to check out my blog at frankp316.blogspot.com. Um, not much happening in, you know, in what I do with the WWE right now, so uh, I haven't been doing the podcast lately. Uh, Io Shirai was on NXT the other night defending her um, uh, the uh, women NXT Women's Tag Team titles, and I did post that video on my blog, but Asuka is injured right now, Schwan. How long is she out for? Well, she has a, a sling on her left arm, so that means it uh, might have been shoulder surgery or something like that. But she still had – Sunday was her birthday, her 40th birthday, by the way. And uh, she took a picture with a birthday cake, and she still has the sling on her arm, so she's not ready to come back. Okay. And now there was, is one match of interest coming up next week, and that's that Ikari Shida will face Serena Deeb on next Wednesday's AEW Dynamite. I haven't watch, been watching AEW lately because I don't like it very much, but I'll be watching that. Okay, one thing I wanted to uh, say before we uh, get to the regular stuff here, and that's that uh, I want to send out congratulations to former UFC bantamweight champ and WWE wrestler uh, Ronda Rousey and her husband, uh, Travis Brown, she gave birth to her daughter on Monday. What do you think, Schwan? Uh, that's pretty cool. I mean, it's, I don't know, because uh, I, I never really saw her, her as a mother, and even after she got married, I never thought of that, but that's pretty cool. Hopefully, the baby's healthy, and they have a gr- great life together. Yeah, they're, they, they, uh, they live in Wyoming, so they got a farm and everything. Yeah, aren't they like, uh, they live like off the grid, kind of? Well, I get I get questions about her sometimes. Like, is she going to return to the WWE? And I guess, look, she's still under contract to them. I mean, she could return if she wants to, but it's not like she needs the money or anything. So I don't know if she's going to return. All right. Anyway, let's get on with uh, the usual stuff here. We'll start with uh, Saturday's UFC show. Uh, of course, uh, the main uh, match there was uh, Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, beat um, uh, defended her title against Lauren Murphy by a fourth round uh, TKO. Uh, let me ask, start with this, Sean. Was this fight better or worse than the Carmouche fight? Um, I guess maybe better because there was a finish. <laughs> yeah. You know, she, <laughs> And, 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 I don't know if you. I don't know if you saw it, but Lord is making okay. Like um, this was on um, MMA fighting, I believe. Uh, I saw Donovan today, and she said her her main coach came down with COVID nineteen, so she had her husband filling in. Okay, and you know all this. Michigas, and the bottom line is this: to me, I felt that I don't really care if the head coach was there. I think the strategy was this: she knew she couldn't possibly win, okay, and so she figured, and her husband went along with her. 
they figured that if we get through five rounds and lose by unanimous decision, that's a moral victory. Because that's what Carbush did. Yeah, the the only difference is I believe Carmouche is capable of more. I really don't know that Lauren Murphy could have done any better than she did, to be honest, even if she was aggressive. I don't know. Like, like a lot of a lot of people when they, they look at this fight and you know they make fun of they there a lot of people making fun of Lauren Murphy, she didn't do very much. And once again, I never fought before, but I've sparred good pros. And when you're ahead of somebody who's so much better athletically and skill wise, there's almost nothing you can really do. And that was the thing with Lauren Murphy. It's not that she's necessarily a bad fighter, but this win streak she went on was against third tier talent. And a lot of these girls she beat had holes in their games which she could exploit. She could key in on specific holes. Andrea Lee doesn't hit very hard. She's not very busy. Roxy Modafari isn't very physical, isn't very athletic. Um, you know, Jojo Calderwood pretty much is a, is a really slow starter and takes time to really come into a fight. But um, in the case of fighting someone like Valentina, there was just, there was nothing for her to key in on. She's not physically strong enough. She doesn't hit hard enough. She's not a good enough wrestler or striker to expose anything that she could take advantage of against Valentina. Well, this is brings brings me to this other thing. I mean, she made such a big deal about getting a title fight. Why did she want it? Um, I'm assuming I think I think she wanted to just for a personal thing to to have that chance to actually compete for the title. You know, a lot of fighters in their minds always say, if I could have just gotten a chance to compete for the title, I could have shown what I could have done, or I, I would have had an opportunity to to step outside of myself. And I think in that regards, she felt if she could just get in position, she'd be able to win. And to be quite honest, this is probably the most successful she's been in her UFC career, maybe in her MMA career, where she was winning consistently and dominantly. As we talked about last last week, her win in Invicta for the title wasn't exa- exactly without an asterisk. That was kind of iffy. And some of her wins earlier in her stage of their UFC career were kind of iffy. She was getting legitimate wins over legitimate, albeit limited, opposition. So this is probably the most, the best she's fought as a fighter and the best she's looked as far as her, her competition. So she won the opportunity. She got it. She just wasn't able to do anything with it. She was just outgunned. There was really no way for her to win unless Valentina came in injured or Valentina was just tremendously underprepared. Well, I have a feeling the underperformance was more deliberate than we realized. Oh, I, I think there's one thing. I will say this. I do think, like, Valentina, in one instance, is like Jose Aldo in that she is kind of defensive and safety first to a degree. But if you press her, she'll open up on you. And Lauren Murphy, much like other fighters, they'll want, they used to want to go against Aldo. They used to go, well, like you said, they'd want to go the four, the five rounds. And every once in a while, somebody would try to press Aldo. And when they did, they'd get beaten up. Lauren Murphy understood that if she really pressed Valentina, Valentina would open up on her, and, and Valentina might do what she did to Jessica I against her. So Lauren Murphy never really ramped it all the way up. She just did enough to stay in the fight and enough to force the fight, but she never really tried to win the fight because she didn't want to pay that price or or be highlight reel like Jessica I was. So she did enough to keep the fight going, but not enough to really – put herself in position to win it or to take chances to push Valentina. So we all know what happened to Liz Carmouche. She got released. Yes. 
that's going to happen here too, I think. Um, I think I, I can't say I don't. I think you're far off. I think she might get another fight or two, but I, I think she's she's very close to being. So, so do you, I, I don't know if you ever heard what happened with Liz Carlos. She thought she would get released right after the fight, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not what happened. They kept her around for a while, and I guess they were kicking around what to do about her. And what they, they, the conclusion that White and etc. came to is that she's gonna what she'll do is she's good enough to beat all the contenders, but not good enough to fight for the title. So we don't want her beating all the contenders, so we're gonna let her go and she went to Bellator. Well in that in that regard, Laura Murphy's not not good enough to do that. Well I don't think so either, but it makes me wonder why she wanted a title shot so bad. I like I said before, I think it's something she aspired to. You know, it's like somebody there's a there's you, a team, a player wants to get to a Super Bowl. They might know they're going to lose, but they at least want a chance to have competed for it. She got a chance to compete for the title. But you, hold, 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 hold. Look, isn't the bottom line this? She would have been better off staying at the mid card. Mm, it might have, but for her personally, she wanted that title shot, so it never would have been good enough. There's a lot of fighters who oh, think oh, oh, oh. So that means she's an idiot. I would say it means she's a competitor. <laughs> a shitty competitor. She's definitely right. not Valentina's class. Valentina has not been challenged, really, except for physically with Andrade and coming off an injury against Maya. Strategically, she was a little challenged. But for the most part, she's been head and shoulders above everyone. Um, right. And I guess, I guess so they're going to take this fight. All right, so let's talk about that for a little bit. First of all, she wants that fight with Amanda. Now, she said something on Ariel Hawaii show. I'm not going to ask Dana for that fight. Well, she doesn't have to because she's going around publicly saying she wants that fight. So I, I don't see any difference to that. Dana Dwight is not an idiot. He knows that she wants that fight. So he told uh, Aaron, last week he told Aaron Bronstetter of TSN that if Amanda wins her next fight, They'll probably do that fight, okay? And the reason they're going to do that fight is they really don't have anybody at flyweight who's quite ready to take the next step. If you look at who's at the top of the uh, rankings, it's all fighters that have already lost to her. Plus, you've got Cynthia Calvillo. We'll talk about her in a minute. Roxanne Mataferi. We'll talk about her in a minute. And the, the, the top-ranked fighter who has yet who is actually on a winning streak, is Viviani Ararujo, ranked at number seven. And as I said before, I'd rather see her at Strawweight because she's undersized. Okay? So th- I don't think they have anybody at Flyweight who's ready anyway. Yeah, I mean, they're they're not really ready, and they're not really – they need more – to be honest, anybody in Flyweight probably needs at least two to three more fights to be – even have a chance to be ready for her. Um She's just that far ahead. Um, if I'm Nunes, I don't know if I take that third fight because I honestly think Nunes has trouble making that bantamweight limit moving back and forth, and that fight's not going to take – that fight's going to be like a year away. That's going to be a little bit more of a cut for her. She'll be physically compromised and give – and, and kind of level the playing field between her and Shevchenko because Shevchenko's going to be perfectly comfortable. She's going to be fine. She's going to be fresh physically. Yeah, I don't know. We'll just have to see if uh, Amanda wants to do it or not. I have no idea. Uh, but yeah. that's what White that's what White thinks he could talk her into it, I guess. I wouldn't if I was her. 
I told her, I told her coaches, people who, who know her, I said, I wouldn't do it. There's there, the money's not big enough. And this is going to be Valentina's best chance to win. Cause she has not looked great at Bantamweight when she's fought there. All right, let's go on to the next one. We had also on the main card, we had uh, Jessica Andrade uh, beat Cynthia Calvillo by, uh, I think it was, was it TKO? Yes. First round TKO, that's right. First round TKO. So, Shawan, let me ask you this question. What the hell do these, does the UFC see at Cynthia Calvillo? I never could figure it out. Is it her looks? What? Um, well, how she came in initially, she just got on such a big run. They ha- had to keep pushing her because but that think- was a, but but Schwan, that was at Strawway. I understand that, but then she came in and she she basically had the she came moved to weight class and, and had that big win, and it kind of gave her a new life. Where they started thinking that she was a potential title challenger at this weight class too. Not anymore. Well, it's, it's clear now. It's it's clear now, but she took some time off. Then she moves up, has this big win. They're like, oh, okay, well, now we have something. That you, you can't get let me, let, me, let me ask you another question about her. Do you think bouncing around gyms that much did her any good? Um, I don't think it did. The, her problem is she she pretty much fights only a little bit differently than she did when she first came to the UFC, what, three, four years ago? And she's not a dynamic enough athlete to get by without having really sharp skills or really updated game plan. Like she doesn't hit hard enough. She's not super explosive on takedowns. She can't physically power you down and hold you down. She's a good athlete with good skills, not great. And that's not enough when you're facing, you know, people who you who, who you can't physically impose your will on. At the other weight class, she physically imposed her will on girls. At this weight class, she doesn't have that ability. So you know that in the past couple of years, she's been at four different uh, gyms, right? Yeah. All right, Team Alpha Male. Then when Justin Buckholz left there, she actually left with him. She was gonna, he was gonna open a new gym, but the pandemic kind of put a, a stop to that. And then she went to AKA for a while. Okay, and now she's at the UFC Performance Institute. Well, she's not problem- getting, she's not getting consistent training. The, the problem is it, now, like she just got there. She's never been in it. She hasn't stayed somewhere long enough to really, you know, because when you move camps, it takes you a while for you to take what they're learning, change your approach and really make adjustments in what you're doing. Now, if you're a better athlete, you can get results quicker. If you have some, some sort of athletic ability, you know, like power, you throw in some body punches and leg kicks. And now Jessica Andrade is light years better. You throw something in, some takedowns with somebody who's a top-level athlete, they'll get takedowns left and right. Calvillo doesn't have that. And the worst part about it is, I don't think she's aware that she's not as good an athlete that the women in this division understand that she doesn't have physical advantages. When I saw her fight Andrade, the game plan and skills she was using would have been great for Andrade about two and a half years ago, because she was expecting Andrade just to run right at her, and she'd throw the one-two and the front kick, and that Andrade, Andrade was even though Andrade isn't defensive, super defensive, Andrade was parrying and moving her head. So some of those shots she expected to land didn't land. She was expecting to land that hard one-two and get away, to back Andrade up and get away. Andrade would parry it or slip and roll and hit her with a big counter. She wasn't expecting that. She hadn't – She hadn't. her game plan was – her game plan was three years too late, and she had no idea how to 
circle away or use their footwork. And that's what MMA fighters are doing. Late in the game, though, we'll all start working on being defensive. You can't just pick that up in a week, in six weeks or 12 weeks. It's something you that's slowly built to. And she's never really had to be super defensive because she's always had the physicality and strength to get a takedown when she wanted or tie someone up when she wanted. At this weight class, she can't do it. And she started paying for it. Once she got put on that back foot consistently, forced to go on the back foot, she, she had no answers. And, and she doesn't have enough athleticism to create space to make up for her lack of skills and IQ. So she's in a tough spot right now. Okay, so Jessica says she wants to go back to strawweight and fight the winner of Rose Namahunas versus Zhang Veili. So uh, I, what do you think about that? I mean, she hasn't, even though she moved up to flyweight and she didn't do great, she was two and one. She's beaten what they consider two top 10 contenders and looks good doing it. Um, you know, two TK. And even though she lost against Valentina, she physically showed that she could get back up and match her strength, strength for strength to a degree. So I don't think she's lost any luster. And a fight between her and Rose would be exciting. I don't know if they pick Andrade over as far as the first, but a fight over her, between her and Rose has been, they've split two fights. So it would be a trilogy. And if she fights Wiley, um, Wiley beat her, but coming off of, you know, some pretty impressive wins, they might be able to repackage that and say, well, let's go for a rematch and see what happens. You know, I mean, she's a bigger name. She's an exciting style. I don't. I just don't want to see her get the shot over Asparza. I don't think she's earned that. By the way, Sean, I don't know if you saw this or not, but uh, she apparently. First of all, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, that whole camp PRVT has moved to Las Vegas. Yeah, so, I don't uh, mention that. So uh, Jessica and uh, and her wife are now living in Las Vegas, and. Um, uh, the reason they did that, and we're, uh, I'm going to talk. We're going to talk about this a little more, uh, more a little later. I have a specific uh, instance I want to bring up. The reason uh, Gaylord Piranha moved the entire camp to Las Vegas, and he has his own building there, by the way, is because they just want to be ready for any kind of fight that UFC wants. They want to. Be, they don't want to have to worry about pieces and stuff like that. And so that's why they did that. And Jessica said in an interview with uh, Guillermo Cruz of MMA Fighting last week that she's actually making a lot of money on OnlyFans, okay? So, <laughs> do you know what OnlyFans is, Sean? Yeah, yeah, I heard I, I heard about her uh, her luck with OnlyFans, and um, like I said, it's, it's made her more money than her fighting career has. No kidding. By the way, this was her wife's idea. I, I get it, to be quite honest, um, because, you know, I mean, I'm, there's a certain there's a she'd have to be OK with it because just Jessica more of herself, I guess you'd say. And um, there's there, there's a there's a market for that. Now, in an open market, maybe Jessica Andrade isn't considered super attractive or super appealing. But there's a market of MMA fans who will pay who find fighting women more attractive. And Bill, yeah, she, she's. She's got muscles. That's for damn. Yeah, they'll, they'll they'll watch it. Plus, I mean, the fact I hate to say it, but there's a fact that she's she's lesbian, and there's a lot of guys who, you know, would like not to, to have, mention girls. Yeah, there you go. You have both parties who would love to have access to see what she has to offer, and they're willing to pay for it. And I I don't lose any respect for her doing it. It's the best. It's the best way for her to continue her career. You have to take advantage yeah. of any opportunity you can. Just made me laugh. That's all. 
Yeah, it's funny that she was on OnlyFans for like what a couple months and is seemingly made more money than she did as a UFC champion. Like, what the? Yeah, no kidding, eh? Well, that just shows you, right? Well, yeah. that's what it's about, right? Lots of ways to do that nowadays. Guys, some people use Twitch, some people use other things, you know. Anyways, let's go on to the third fight. We had um, uh, Taylor Santos beat uh, Roxanne Modafferi. Uh, by unanimous decision. Now, this was originally supposed to be Roxanne versus um, Tatiana Suarez. Tatiana suffered a knee injury. Uh, Taylor was moved from that fight that was supposed to be in England. Uh, so they got her a visa, right? And um, this is what I thought. I thought that that shot that busted Roxanne open in the second round, I thought she suffered a concussion. Okay. And the only thing that I didn't like about Taylor's performance in that fight is she didn't try to finish. I thought she should have tried to go for a finish. Other than that, she obviously outclassed Roxy. Yeah, I don't know. She physically outclassed her. The, the main issue with Roxy is she doesn't hit very hard. She's not very quick. She's not physically super strong or durable. So any work she does can be quickly turned around with one strike, one takedown, one whatever for her opponent. And early on, her movement, her rhythm was giving Talia some issues. She was landing jabs and crosses and leg kicks and body kicks. But for she, every time she landed five or six shots, when Talia landed one or two, it had four times the damage on it. And that was ultimately to turn the fight. Roxy couldn't control where the fight was taking place. She didn't have the physical power to keep her on the cage. She didn't have the strength to force her down. She didn't have the explosiveness to get a quick takedown and, and get Santos on the ground and on the stride and the feet. No matter what she did, she could ne ne excuse me, never put enough volume because she hasn't hit hard enough. So every time she threw five, six, seven, eight shots, Talia would just throw one, boom, we're, we're right back at square one. And ultimately, Talia's chin and physicality held up more than um, Roxy's, Roxy's physicality. I just don't think Roxy has enough athletic talent to compete with people anymore at a certain stage in mixed martial arts she was able to get by on iq and grit and technique but now the gap is so wide in physical abilities that she all she, all she can do is compete now she can't even win she can just make fights tough for half a round a round and then it's just her taking beatings and that's essentially been the story of her last three or four losses competitive for a moment slowly slowly gets beaten down and broken down by a bigger stronger less skilled opponent well, let's talk about Tyla a little bit because I thought she looked better in this fight than she's looked at her previous fights. I think she did too, but it's easy to look good when you don't have to fear anything coming from the other person. Well, again, we'd like to see her against a better class of opponent, obviously. How about Tyla versus Viviani Arujo? Yes, I would like that because not because I think she's a better Arujo is a better class of fighter. Arujo is a better class of athlete, somebody who right. can actually get into certain spots. Roxy's fine as a fighter, and the thing that impressed me about Talia was she maintained her poise. Because sometimes when fighters fight um, Roxy, they go all out for the finish and they forget Roxy's a tough seasoned veteran. She can navigate that, and if you gas, she's going to come on. She's going to keep pressing. She's going to look for submissions. She's going to start putting strikes together when you're compromised. So Talia made sure she never put herself in a position where she was gassed or overextended herself where she could let Roxy's IQ and her grit turn the fight. So I admire her poise and her work rate, but when you don't have somebody who can hurt you, it's real easy to look 
technical or to be calm or make the right right reads because you know that there's no 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 cost for you making a mistake there's no pressure so you're fighting pressure free pressure free they mentioned on the broadcast that talia's uh, father is a pkk instructor and uh, he started teaching her when she was a little girl and i always like to hear that yeah yeah getting that have that familiarity makes a big makes a big difference um Coming from any sort of athletic background will help you as a fighter. Coming from an athletic background with in combat sports is always going to help you. If you have the right mentality, it's always going to give you a leg up over somebody who's a late starter and trying to find yeah. their identity. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that was it for Saturday, right? Yes. Okay. Let's move to this Saturday. And the number one fight on here on the main card is at Bantamweight. It is uh, Aspen Lad. Versus Macy Chason. And this fight was supposed to happen back in July and Macy got injured or something. And let's just talk about the fighters first. Uh, Aspen is, uh, trains at uh, MMA Gold in uh, El Dorado Hills, California with her coach and boyfriend, uh, Dave West. Uh, this will be her first fight after knee surgery. So, I mean, for me, she's an elite fighter. But what's she going to be like after this? You never know about stuff like that. But I think it's—I don't think it's an easy fight for her. Uh, Macy is originally from New Orleans, but she trains at Fortis MMA in Houston uh, with Saif Saoud. She uh, is a um, was on. She won tw- Tough Twenty Eight, which was for featherweights. But you know she she's fought since then at bantamweight. She's fairly tall for a bantamweight, so she has a big size advantage. You know, she's done well in the UFC except for that one loss that she had to, to uh, European fighter, whatever the hell her name was. Uh, I think it was Lucy Kudelover or somebody like that. Uh, it doesn't matter who it was. Point is, in that one loss, I had it made me have real doubts about her. Okay? Like, she looked really bad in that fight. She's come back since then. But I still have doubts in my head about that. Yeah, my problem with Macy is in a lot of ways, I might say, if I describe Macy best, I'd say Macy is a version, is a n- another version of a Panty Kansas. I just think Panty might be have a little bit better sense of IQ, self awareness, and identity. You know, the, you, you, you know, hold it, hold it. You know, those two are, are good friends, eh? Uh, yes, yes, I do. So uh, they're both I, a tough twenty-eight. I think they have a lot of similarities in that both fighters rely on their size and their physicality and their pace. They're basically bullies. They take control early and they kind of back you up and grind you down, not with great technique, but with the physicality they bring, with the size advantage, they can take some more shots from people. They can handle them and wear them down in clinches and in scrambles. And when they get on top, they can just physically impose their will. It's not super technical, but it, it's it's like being an educated brawler in boxing. There's some technique, but it's a lot of that physicality and that grit of how they fight. Um, the difference in this case is I don't know that Chieson's, at least Panty's flirted with having adjustments and layers to what she does. She hasn't perfected them, but you saw some forward motion in her last fight. I don't know that Chieson has that. The first, the people, only person Chieson has lost to was Alina Landsberg. But Lena Landsberg. Really, I, I, I knew it was one of the <laughs> Yeah, Lena Landsberg is a is a comparable athlete, athlete as far as explosiveness and, and she's probably got more power and she's a much better striker. And that clinch area that she has and likes to lean on to wear people down and get takedowns in 
didn't exist against Landsberg because Landsberg's a Muay Thai fighter who's transitioned very well to MMA. So she couldn't bully her in clinches. She couldn't control her in clinches. And that's where she likes to work and really beat people up. The other people she beat was Gia Mazzani, who was no one's idea of a skilled fighter. Sarah Morass, who's no one's idea of a skilled fighter. Shayna Young, who's got some skills, but... We'll, it, we'll talk it, about her in a minute. Yes, it, it's fairly limited physically. And the only other good person she beat was Mary Renault. But that's a Marion Renault who can't really fight at pace anymore at controlling where a fight takes place at. So basically, she's bullied and outworked people to, to wins. Again, if Aspen Ladd is healthy, I don't know that she can do that because Aspen Ladd's such a better athlete. Aspen Ladd hits so much harder. She's so much faster. I don't know that she's a whole lot better technically, but she's so much more devastating in spots. So Mason's not good when she can't bully and take, take control of a fight. She's... If Aspen's in the right mindset, she's not going to control Aspen. She's not going to bully Aspen. She's not going to back Aspen up. Aspen's be I better. See, I could see. I could. I could see Aspen finishing this fight. She's better off than she's. She's a finisher. The first thing about Aspen is she falls asleep at the wheel and lets people who shouldn't get rounds on her get rounds on her. If she ever just comes out locked in, she'd walk through most people she faces, and she'd walk through Chasen because Chasen doesn't have the defensive awareness or the offensive skill set to just handle her. But I don't know how Aspen's going to come back. I don't know if we're going to see the well, same. I, uh, yeah, we don't know because she's just coming off a knee surgery. Uh, I find what happens in a lot of cases when Aspen goes off the rails, Wes yells at her, and that kind of gets her back on. Yeah, it, at some point that it needs to not it needs to not happen. She needs to just That's have that. That's right. Because you're going to yeah. end up like JoJo Calderwood, a great talent who keeps underperforming because she just won't come out in the right mindset. Okay, we got three other fights here on this show to talk about. First one is a flyweight. It is Antonina Shevchenko versus Casey O'Neill. We all know who Antonina is. She's that belt his older sister, but nowhere near as good. She's in big trouble here, okay? Casey O'Neill has the potential to be an elite fighter. She's from Scotland, but she's training these days at Extreme Couture in Las Vegas with Eric Nixick. That is a good combination. And she's had two fights in the UFC, and she's looked really good so far. So I like her in this fight. Yeah, O'Neal hasn't fought a lot in the UFC. But when, when she Not has yet. She, she's fought, she's shown, she's shown some really high-end athleticism. She's shown a good chin. And her power is actually pretty impressive. And even though Antina, Antonina Shevchenko is the should be the better technical striker. Antina has never really shown explosiveness with her striking. You know, I've seen girls walk through her striking. I've seen girls take her shots, back her up to the cage, take her down, or, or hurt her worse with shots. Recently, she's been more of a grappler, trying to outposition people and use her size advantage to wear people down. But O'Neal's such a better grappler and such a better wrestler, especially on the counter and defensively. I don't know that Antonina is going to be able to do that because – even if she has success, she tends to fade. And if you fade against someone like O'Neal, you're just going to get punished. And when Antonina tires, her defense falls apart. Her will to fight kind of falls apart, and she just starts trying to, trying to survive. I think O'Neal might finish her. Yes. Shawan, I don't think Antonina is a UFC-caliber fighter. I think she's there basically to keep her sister company. Well, I think a lot of girls in the UFC aren't UFC-level fighters. I well, still think no, I agree with that. But in Antonina's case, it's to keep her sister company. I, yeah, well, that's fine. But if, if she was, she's not as bad as some girls who can't even put wins together. She's put some wins together. She has some skills. 
I personally think she shouldn't be fighting at this weight class. I think fighting in that weight class actually hinders her because it's a tough cut for her. They're trying to use her size advantage, and I think it's backfiring where she doesn't have any cardio or any snap on her shots. I actually think she would do better as a bantamweight. She wouldn't lead, but I think she would do better as a bantamweight. She's getting too old, man. I know, but that's too old to make this weight cut. She could be at bantamweight. She could she could put two or three wins together in a row. I guarantee you that. O'Neal has a bad mean streak, too. O'Neal might really hurt her. Oh, I like her in this fight. Anyway, I think we both like her in this fight. All right, now we go to Carol Rosa versus Betch Correa at Bantamweight. And this is Betch Correa's retirement fight. It was supposed to happen a few months ago, and I think it got delayed due to COVID. Uh, Carol Rosa, I don't know who Betch is. Carol Rosa... Streets PRVT with um, uh, Jessica Andrade. And so far, I think she's what, two or three and oh in the UFC? Is that three pretty good? Yeah. I expect her to win this fight. Um, I would say she'd probably win it because she's sharper, but in my experience, in my opinion, Betch Kohei is a better fighter than, um, than uh, what's her name, Carol Rosa. She's She's got better IQ. She's actually got better pacing, and she's one of the best body punchers and one of the best counter punchers in MMA. Her issue is she has she makes mental slips, big mental slips, which cost she, her. She gets stupid. Yeah, I, I know. I talked to her camp once before the Holly Holm fight. I talked to her manager, and I was like, this is exactly what Holly Holm's going to try to do to her. This is exactly what you do. This is what you need to do. And they actually agreed with me. They went with it, and then they said halfway through the fight, for some reason, best started having some success. She just, so she decided to showboat. Then she got kicked in the head and uppercutted into the into the afterlife. And it, he was, I was like, "Why does she do that?" He goes, "Who knows why she does what she does? She just does shit." And that's been that's well, what's held I, her. I, well, I think this is an example of a fighter who was never a full time fighter. I think she uh, has a day job as a secretary, if I remember correctly. And yeah. um, no, so it's she came just, to. Sorry, it's it's not just that. It's she had sometimes her her fo- even if you're a part time fighter you can maintain your focus full time and she never was super professional in how she did her business you could tell because you see fights where she take two or three steps forward and then a fight six months later and you're like dude how did you get worse you were on the upward trend and now you're you're back to where you started yeah, I think it's all training. I think I think she's an idiot and she had the same she has the same problem Roxanne Modafari has. There's fighters who are much worse than Betch Kohea who've gotten further, not because they're better skilled opponents, because they're better athletes. Betch Kohea, Roxy Matafari, they are beyond they're they're the MMA version of me. Average, below average athletes who get by because they're fairly smart, they have a good understanding of things, and they have an identity. But once you start facing better opposition, you start getting knocked off your perch. But the fact still remains, Betch Kohea has beaten better opponents. She's she, she's performed better against better opponents. And as good as Carol Rosa has seemed, Carol Rosa has never fought anybody with any identity, any sense of skill, or any sense of awareness. Betch Kohea will be the toughest fight she has ever had in her MMA career, and I don't know that she wins it. I think Betch goes out, retires with a win. We'll see. And the fourth fight is one of these ones that mm, uh, at, I think it's at uh, Bantamweight. Shanna Young versus uh, Stephanie... Edgar. Edgar. Okay, Edgar. So, uh, Shannon, I don't think, I don't know if either of these fighters want to 
Shani Young is from Knoxville. She trains in the same camp as uh, uh, Owen St. True. Okay. And mm-hmm. she she was in the Contender Series. She lost. And the way she eventually got into the UFC was as a short notice replacement. And she lost her first fight, and that was about a year ago, or even more. And she's just not a UFC caliber fighter. We see that sometimes with the short notice replacement. Stephanie is from Switzerland. Okay, so she trains there and lives there. And we've only seen her once, so... Um, you know, she lost that fight, and so we don't know how good she really is. Yeah, basically, this comes down to who's going to be able to impose their will. Edgar isn't really physical. She's not really dynamic athletically. She's fairly limited striking. Young is more aggressive. I don't know that she's a better grappler, but I think she's a better athlete, and I think she's a little bit tougher. So she should be able to navigate spots and basically just wear, walk Edgar down and then eventually break her down whether it's to do a decision or a stoppage, probably a decision. Um, Young gets kind of wild, so she'll give you opportunities to finish her. I just don't think Edgar is going to be mentally in the fight or physically in the fight um, enough to really, really um, con- to finish. My issue is who's going to take control first. Whoever takes control first is pretty much going to have control of the fight, I think, from that point on. Yeah, I, I think, you know, i got to see more of, of Stephanie before I decide whether she's any good or not. One fight doesn't tell me. It doesn't, but it does highlight how limited she is athletically. Yeah, that I agree with. Okay, so is that it? Uh, I think that's it. Okay. So one other thing I wanted to talk about, and we talked about it a little briefly earlier. Last week, um, Eugene Behrman of City Kickboxing uh, did an interview, and... uh, because of what happened with Dan Hooker uh, last week, he's thinking about moving city kickboxing to Las Vegas. Okay. So they don't have to deal with visas and stuff like that. So kind of like what we were talking about with PRVT a little earlier. So uh, let me uh, get your thoughts on that. I mean, it'd be interesting. It did a lot of people are considering it with, I guess with the way COVID is now, you can't really afford to take any chances. You might be costed, let somebody drops out of a fight, you might be costing your fighter a potential title shot or a big payday or a high profile spot because of uh, because of uh, COVID protocols and, and visas and stuff like that. And you can't afford to do that, you know, especially with younger up and coming fighters who need every opportunity they can. And you definitely don't want to do that with the middleweight champ who's a high profile face of the UFC especially with recent news about how some of their stars have been getting into trouble. So in that instance, it makes sense. I mean, I don't know that they need better sparring and all that. They can probably get that even there, but it's basically just a money move. I No, I think it's just a move. It's similar to what, what uh, Gaylord Piranha did uh, in GRVT. He just wanted to be in Vegas so that if they needed somebody at the last minute, he could have a fighter step in. And I think it's the same thing here. Why, you know, if you're still living in New Zealand uh, or Australia or whatever it is, what happens if you need a visa? Yeah, I mean, it's just costing you money and opportunities. And in, in the fight game, most people don't have 10-year careers. If you are lucky to have a four to five good year career where you can get good fights and make good money, you're lucky. So you can't afford – and a guy like Dan Hooker, who loves to take fights short notice and put, it, put himself in the mix – he can't afford to lose out on an opportunity because of a 
of COVID protocols or because they can't get a visa. So I understand exactly why they're doing it. Um, it's, it's strictly to be available for fights and for money. I, they had success as a camp, so it can't be because of sparring or quality of training. No, I don't think it is at all. I think it's a, it's a case of um, there's too much red tape in trying to get visas now. Yeah, after that last incident, it almost cost them. I can't imagine they want to go through that again. Anyways, that's what Eugene said last week. Right? So we'll see if he actually does that. Do you think we'll see more of this? Um, with the bigger camps, yeah, because you have to be have a certain amount of success to even consider that. You can't be a smaller camp who's only had one or two fights in the UFC and say, we're moving over there, it's too much money. And we know MMA does not always have the highest end money. They have, you know, in the case of uh, v, uh, PVT, they have Andrade, who's a huge star and a big name. So you can get a lot of access and opportunities and help. And with Hooker, who's a fairly big name in the UFC, and um, Israel Adesanya, who's a big name, that also helps leverage into getting places to live and opportunities. So when you have a name guy who's shown dominance, yeah. But if you're just an up-and-coming where you have a couple, you know, mid-cards and preliminary people, uh, they're going to want to come over. They're going to have to go to a different camp because it's not going to make enough money, enough sense for them to bring their whole camp over. Well, Adesanya said that he would never fight in New Zealand. Yeah, I, I think his corner's going to talk to him a little bit about that, but maybe he maybe he'll stand by that. Yeah, we'll see. All right, anything else you want to talk about? Um, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but I did find it interesting that uh, Julia Budd, when you told me she was going to PFL. Oh, oh, who told me that? I did. Yeah, that's what I said, when you told me. Oh, that's right. I did say that. Yeah, PFL and us yesterday that Julia Budd has signed with them. Uh, I think we Bellator contract ran out. Somebody said that she was going to go to PFL, and that was probably me. Okay? Why? She's going to make more money there. Okay? Yeah, I, UFC I, I, was not going to offer her the money she wanted. I, I honestly think these people, and I've said this about other fighters, I said Megan Anderson, even though it was like, well, she doesn't want to wait. I was like, Megan Anderson should go to PFL. She can, Whether she can beat Kayla Harrison or not, she's a name that might keep Kayla Harrison there. And she's still better than anybody Kayla Harrison's fought. You can put some wins together. You can make some money. You can be a high-profile cars on ESPN. How do you say no to that? And I expect more fighters to um, make that jump or unless Bellator starts, there's a, works out a case where Kayla can fight Cyborg for a, uh, in a cross-promotion. But I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if the cross-promotion thing is going to happen, to be honest with you. I, I just it, don't see it. It probably won't, but I, I would expect – I expect other fighters to make this jump. Like when the UFC starts getting rid of them, PFL, you've been on the UFC, you've been high profile. How, why, how is Felicia Spencer not trying to go to PFL? I went, five, I went four and a half rounds with the champ. I'd be the best person you fought. Put me over there. Well, they, they got to do – well, Julia's contract ran out, so that's why she was able to do that. But the point is, the point is, now PFL said in a press release the other day that they haven't decided if next year's tournament is going to be at either lightweight or featherweight. And I guess it depends on whether Kayla resigns, but I expect Kayla to resign with them. I don't think she's going anywhere. I don't think her choices are as, as great as she thinks they are. And I also think Clarissa Shields is going to be back. So she ain't dropping the 145. She's already said that. Yeah, well, I mean, all these girls coming over are obviously going to move up to fight her in her weight class. 
And then they'll have the option if they lose, they can drop back down to the normal weight class or maybe they can fight Clarissa Shields eventually. I guess so. I mean, Julia Budd makes a difference here. I mean, she could fight at either weight class. I think she'd be okay. But I wasn't I would, predicting, like I said, I predicted she would go there, so it didn't surprise me. There's other people like uh, Sinead Cavanaugh fights for Bellator. I wouldn't mind her coming to the PFL and fighting um, Clarissa Shields because she would strike with her. She comes from a boxing background. She'd try to box her. Isn't Liam McCourt fighting tonight, tomorrow night? I think so. Yeah. There's another one. Yeah. So, I mean, there. if I was them, I'd take advantage of this money while it's, gonna, while it's here. It's never, it's never been more financially beneficial to be a female fighter in mixed martial arts than it is right now. They need to take advantage of this money. See, with Bellator, a lot depends on whether Viacom wants to spend the money on a, on a particular fighter. Because they could. People don't understand. Viacom has a lot more money than the UFC's parent company. Yes. So people don't understand that. I'm telling you, they got a lot more money. So if they wanted to spend it, they could be bigger than the UFC. They just don't want to spend it. Yeah. All right. Is that about it? That's about it, sir. Okay. Again, don't forget to check out my blog at frankb316.blogspot.com. All those fights that I, we were talking about from last week are all up on my blog. If you have any questions or comments for either my blog or my podcast, you can leave them in the voicemail. And if you'd like to subscribe to my podcast, you can do so at Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Enjoy the fights. We'll talk to you later.